Hi, this is Mike Corrado from Villanova University. You're listening to the More Than a Club podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast. This is your host, Bill Leahy, and on today's episode, we welcome a former player of whom I am very proud, Coach Corey Schaefer, a 2012 graduate who has gone on to become the head coach of your Sinus College here in Philadelphia. On today's episode, you'll hear more about Coach Corey's journey, his high school and college playing days, and his philosophy at your Sinus College. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Coach Corey's insights. Let's go! Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Leahy. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast, season four, episode four. I'm your co-host, Bill Leahy, and excited that Coach Coop, Coach Kate, and I are back for another go-around, this time with one of my former players, a LaSalle College High School lacrosse alum, class of 2012, Corey Schaefer, now head coach of your Sinus College here in Philadelphia. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's kind of exciting for me, like another LaSalle guy on the show and part of the coaching tree from LaSalle. Yeah, it, it's ever-growing. I feel like we get more and more guys. I wouldn't even count Matt Rambo in that category as a coach now, too. I think he coaches down in Florida, but yeah, it's, we have a lot of them. Yeah, we've talked often about getting a night together where we all get on a Zoom and share coaching ideas. That would be a big crew. Yeah, I mean, it spans Division One, Division Three, to all over high school. It would be, it would be quite the crew of people getting together, for sure. That's awesome to hear and, and good to see you guys reconnect. Uh, I know Corey best as a friend from getting involved coaching club with Next a few years ago, coaching our Next 22s through their high school years. Uh, shout out to Coach Shallow, Henry Bard, Xander, and the boys. Um, quite a crew, but also getting you involved as a youth goalie coach. So looking forward today to hearing about your progress as a Division Three head coach at Ursinus um, and exploring uh, the the different perspectives you'll bring us from your time with Coach at LaSalle, your own college playing days, um, and really all the different experiences you bring. So, Shafe, thanks for being here again. One of our biggest fans listening now yeah. on the other side. I, it's gotten me through many recruiting trips, your podcast. There's, there's many two-hour rides down to Delaware, Baltimore, you name it, where two or three episodes. I usually save them up for the summer and the fall to make sure I don't, I don't listen have some to listen to it. Well, thanks. Now you get to listen to yourself. Frightening. I don't know if I'll do that, but. (laughs) All your positive feedback moved you up the guest list, and uh, we needed you in season four. So if any other big fans are listening out there, all you have to do is uh, let us know. So Coach Schaefe, all jokes aside, uh, looking forward to this. Let's get to some youth sports hot topics. First off, uh, give us something for parents. Yeah, for parents, I think the one thing that I, I guess one hot topic I wanted to get into with you guys was more about, I know Coop being a club lacrosse guy might offer guidance to people in this department, but it's something I've had people ask me about is about when to put your child into that club lacrosse scene where you're playing fall, summer, some winter mixed in if you're doing box, and I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I'm interested to hear your perspective and even coming from a former high school guy who I know doesn't have the most love for club at times, having that constant battle. but Yeah, I'll frame uh, the discussion from my end saying that at Next, our youngest team each year is a second and third grade team, um, and we have teams in each grade above that all the way up through high school. So 
I tell parents often that I would rather talk them out of club lacrosse in second or third grade than talk them into it. So if they have doubts or if they're worried about overcommitting or juggling, I kind of tell them like, hey, club lacrosse isn't going anywhere. And if this is something you can wait on, you won't get left behind. And similar to youth soccer reminds me of, of there are teams for everyone. And uh, you're not going to get left behind if you don't start in second grade. So um, that's usually a surprising answer for those parents receiving that from me. But um, I think it's probably different for every kid, family, and, and really where the resources are. For me, I think whenever your young person is emotionally ready to be committed to a team, to work hard one or two nights a week, and to be ready to sacrifice and give up things, they may not be able to do like the swim club or other events, it just becomes a time commitment if you're in the car an hour each way every Monday night. So when your young person is ready to do that and you're ready as a parent, then I think it's willing to give it a shot. Now, I don't totally dislike club lacrosse or I would never work for such a great <laughs> I, I know, company. I know, I know, I know. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Coach Leahy at the high school level definitely would get frustrated in that the young people were having a hard time transitioning from the way they play in club which is similar to checkers, I say. You know, it's fun. You get up and down the field. It's all good, right? You're developing your skills versus the highly strategic chess version of high school lacrosse where you are analyzing the opponent, having a scouting report, going to the weight room, practicing all week to eliminate your opponent's big best skills and then have to perform at a high level where you don't get to play again at 11 and 3 o'clock and the rankings matter and the standings matter and I get evaluated by the AD and the president by how much we win or lose. Mm -hmm. And you don't get evaluated in any way, shape, or form in that way when it comes to clubs. So I like both in their own spirit. I think one's more like checkers and more free spirit and guys thrive in that um, environment. And there's guys who thrive in the very controlled, structured, disciplined environment of high school lacrosse. I always like taking a guy who is really a mediocre club player and saying, hey, but you can be a crease attackman and that is all you will do here at LaSalle and then thrive. Right. And the opposite's true too. Guys who didn't thrive at LaSalle but go to the club and get turned loose and they're an amazing up and down the field player. Yeah. So it kind of depends which coach Leahy you're asking. How's that? And Chafe, what do you think or what do you tell them? And What's your so advice I, for yeah, the listeners? I, I normally, again, I, I fall similar to Coach Leahy and you, and where it's it's a case by case basis. I think certain people are going to feel more strongly. I think one, I always say, like if you have other interests outside of lacrosse and you're not narrowed in, which you always should as a youth guy, like you don't need to go to club. And I think I always said seventh eighth grade is normally the start time if you have a lot of other interests going on, like if you're doing swimming and golf and soccer and all those sports that a lot of parents are putting their kids into right you should take your time to get into that and wait till you feel that kind of motivation to go join a club team especially one as high caliber as next is appreciate that uh i guess like what do you enjoy about being around youth lacrosse and even as a college coach now why do you still come out and work with the younger guys and what are what's some of the good of what you see I think it's just always being able to teach the kids something new. It was something I always enjoyed from being with Coach Lahia LaSalle. There's always a little thing you can fix that even if you get one kid to go, like, aha, like, I get that now. And he doesn't have to think about it again when he comes out there. That pays off. And um, it just energizes me more, I think, going out on those Mondays and Wednesdays with you guys when I'm on my off days with their sinus. Like, it's always nice to just have a breath of fresh air and not have to deal with um, college guys all the time. So moving on to our section for players, and it usually revolves around culture building. Is there a use your sinus way? Yeah, I mean, we've 
been developing that now for my fifth year there now. We we really started and kind of the path we've taken when we got there. We talked a lot about building a foundation um, over the past three years, COVID included. It was ever-changing our culture. And then we kind of got to our uh, my my kind of start this year and talked to my seniors and we had this standard sheet that I didn't love having done it with coach Mercadante in the past. And we are a player led culture. So I kind of put that on them and asked them, what are you, what do you want us to stand for across campus on the field in the classroom as people? Um, and they did a phenomenal job with it. They laid out a few really key principles for us um, the number one thing we have with our team is willing participants. Um, I think we really want all of our guys to be active in what we're doing and how we're doing it. I think it's a little bit different than when I was playing as a youth guy, high school, you're pretty much hopping on the train and you're on for dear life, whatever your coach said. Um, I very much pick my guys' brains about what they want to do, what they like, what they don't like, whether it's those 16 AM lifts where back when I was at LaSalle, there was no choice. Um, and we weren't lifting at just 15 a.m., but um, now I'm going to ask them, like, hey, do guys feel motivated to get up in the morning then, or can we find a better way to do it, whether it's afternoon, separate lift times, and um, that's how we found success in making guys make sure they feel ownership in what we're doing, and I think that's a generational thing. I don't think if I was coaching myself back in the day, I necessarily would have felt that way, but guys now do feel that way, especially with my current guys. You didn't like our 6.30 a.m. yoga <laughs> sessions or our swimming sessions or our team basketball? I mean, I love the team basketball. It's something I still do with my team today. But um, it was it was just something that I knew getting those guys involved made it a lot easier for us. And um, the number one thing they came up with on that list outside of being a willing participant was being a great student athlete, um, which a lot of times we don't, as college coaches, falls to the wayside. But as a D3 coach, I know all of my guys are going to be young professionals and have to carry jobs after they're done their time in Ursinus. So the more I can get them ready in the classroom, build some great study habits with me, with my assistant coach, um, it really helps us kind of move the program forward. Um, and then the last thing, which has been our kind of go-to motto for years, is together. Um, we strive to do everything off-season, uh, lifting, I mean, Everything we do, we try to do together. Um, there's a lot of power in getting 45 guys in the weight room at one time. There's a lot of power in getting 45 guys or 25 guys on your offense at a shooting session together. Um, and we find that doing that, when you're that outcast, you feel it. And it doesn't even have to be said most of the time. You just feel that you're that outcast not doing it together. I can remember recently I had a player at the end of every practice. This is I know I'm going in depth, but we we uh, we hug at the end of practice. This was a LaSalle thing. Yeah. He walked away from the huddle, and I we film everything. So I pulled up on film. I show him in the office. Like those are the types of things we want to do everything together. And why did we hug out our practice at the end at LaSalle? Because of how competitive it was and getting after each other. What was said between Thank the lines? Thank you, brothers. Yeah, and what was said between the lines wasn't carried outside to the locker room or anything like that. We would compete pretty hard. I mean, not proud of it, but we had a couple of fights. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we would talk, hug it out at the end. Yeah. Not personal. No. Nope. Everybody apologized, moved on, but that's how hard we competed at times. Yep. Can't believe you did that to Rambo, Shade. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's another show. So uh, let's move on. Uh, something for coaches. X and O, inside of the week, we like to call it. And uh, I love talking shop with you. So what do you have for us today? 
I would love to talk to you guys about zone defense. Well, we're going to put on the gloves, aren't we? It's going to yeah. get rough. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about I actually saw a zone defense already this fall. I think today is October 14th. But my first youth scrimmage of the fall, uh, we hosted another club, and they broke out a zone. I think it was like fourth or fifth graders. So, um, so why, did that, why did that bother you? It, it actually didn't. The more I've, I've kind of thought about it, I think it was good because we were able to recognize it as a team, uh, talk through it at halftime, kind of compare it to basketball, figure out how to attack. Um, but also had to get, had to vent a little bit and go like, man, is that, is that really what's happening? Um, and talking to coach Leahy and coach Corrado earlier tonight, just saying if that was fourth or fifth grade basketball, they'd be playing zone and it wouldn't be something you even mentioned. So, um, you know, what, why in lacrosse is, is that something that I've heard people say, you can't play for that coach. If they're playing zone, they're really not trying to develop you. But I also coach at Haverford School where everyone plays a zone against us every game. And if our kids know how to attack it and have seen it and are comfortable, it's a lot different than going, oh, my God, they're in a zone. Um, So go ahead, Chief. Yeah, I mean, I think for me at the college level, zone has become a massive tool, mostly because of the shot clock. Um, And there's been rule change talks about possibly bumping down to 60 seconds. And I think you would see even more zone if it was a 60-second clock. Um, But even with 80, I mean, we – it depends on the team we're trotting out there defensively, but it's something we teach every year, no matter what. Um, offensively, it's something you have to put in, and I think that might be a reason why you don't see it at the youth level. It takes a lot more practice than your six-on-six offense. A lot of stuff has to be more buttoned up. Um, and defensively, it's a little easier to play zone, kind of just pick it up, toss it in, and let people stand in space. and yep. Pack it in. Yeah, pack it in. And the, the one thing it takes at the youth level, and I don't know if you saw this, but you need a great goalie. I think that's the back end of any zone is always backed up by a great goalie. Um, but we use it a lot, and at practice especially, it's a good way to keep our offense on, our to- on their toes. Do you have different zones that you, you mix it up or go in and out of, or is it just one, and this is our bread and butter, and we know – how to do it really well. The zone that I use is actually one that Coach Resch put in every year at LaSalle for our practice zones. And he <laughs> nice. called it blob. I call it blob. It's not a mystery. I think the simplicity of it is what makes it great. Um, giving people simple directions, simple rules allows them to be successful in it. And I mean, I've, I've coached with it at the youth level with Coach Leahy back with our uh, headstrong days. And um, I know I wasn't the most popular person that day when i whipped out a zone at the next cup but it was it gold, was worth gold it medal that end. day work <laughs> look at you now look at me now yeah <laughs> i think on the flip side the offensive side right zone offense is a whole different creature it's more in the family of men up and so for all those years at LaSalle, helping the offensive players understand that we need to react to the defense so it depends on first recognizing what defense and we compared that to planets and we would often say, when we see a defense that's like our defense, we're on earth. We understand that. We live it every day. That's a man-to-man defense, kind of soft. We, we can do what we want to do on offense. They're going to have to stop us by what they do and may the best kind of regular offense and defense win. However, when you step out there and you recognize and you teach your players to recognize it, they've shut one player off, and now it's five on five. Now we're like in Pluto. Yeah. How you play offense on Pluto is completely different. Right? You can't play offense on a foreign planet the way you do on Earth. Yeah. Right? You have to change your thinking, your tempo, how hard you work when somebody's getting shut off. Same with zone. Zone puts you like on Venus. And that you have to have a different mentality. You, even your thinking and your way you behave and act and your stick speed and stick skills are different. 
than if you were facing man-to-man. And finding time in practice to practice that yeah. isn't always fun because it changes the tempo of practice. Everything slows down. It's a six-on-six, half-field. You know, you feel like you commit 10 minutes. It feels like going to the dentist. Yeah. You have to have balls on the end line. People get frustrated. They Passes get picked off. Yep. And then you're like, this just stinks. And then you turn around and play a game, and they put in a great zone, and you get beat. And you're like, gosh, like how do we find a way to prepare and practice in a fun, creative, and exciting way against something called a blob? <laughs> right? Where yeah. six guys are above the goal. Nobody plays you behind the goal. And you really, it's six on five defensively above the goal. That's a tough task. And again, you got to go back and teach every offensive player what their job is, what their role is. And it's different than what they just did earlier in practice when it was man to man. And you find that some guys just can't do it. Like they just don't get the concept, you know, and how you maybe you don't approach it well with your six guys that you've taught to play offense. So you just go grab the man up team and you put the man up team and say, go run our man up plays against the blob. But it just creates, I think, such havoc and change of tempo. And it forces you to prepare differently as a head coach during the week. And um, it wins games. Yeah. I think one of the ways of practice we found ways to make it not as kind of slow down your tempo all the time. I mean, we do six on six, best of three. So you bring it to the side with your coaches and that coach, that defensive coach, I might toss out blob on the second rep and the third rep, but you don't know what's coming on each rep. Um, and we found that's a good way. You bring it to the side after that best of three, you get a point An offensive efficiency rate of 66% is pretty out, outlandish, so our offense gets frustrated all the time. But again, it gives guys the ability to recognize it mid-play um, a little bit more. Well, we would do that recognition drill where I would have the offense at one half of the field and Rush would have the defense at the far end, and then he would tell the defense what to do, whether they shut somebody off, shut two yeah. people off, play regular, or go zone, and then we probably had another defense in there. <laughs> yeah. And he would whisper it to just one or two defensemen who yeah. would then tell the rest, and the offense had to come down on a loose ball, start to get it around, recognize what it was, call it out, and then get into the correct offense, change their mind frame, and approach the defense that they've now recognized correctly for 60 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And the blob might not come till the end. And then we'd keep score in general of how, we were, how well we were recognizing the defenses, how quickly we moved into the correct offense, how efficient we were and not wasting time, and then whether we were able to get a shot off score or ride correctly. Mm-hmm. Mind-numbing, right? All the yeah. different things going on there. Great stuff there. A lot, a lot of good uh, coaching talk between you two. Let's move into the getting to know you section, learn a little bit more about Corey's introduction to lacrosse. So, Corey, tell us about little guy, lacrosse, and your upbringing, falling in love with sports, but specifically lacrosse. Yeah, I mean, I think I was I was fortunate to be raised in I, – I, I listened to Coach Rush's podcast. He called us a football family. I would still categorize us as that, but we've quickly turned into a lacrosse family after the cousins of – gone through but let's back up there a little bit because you're related yeah coach Resch is so Tony Resch is my uncle it's been um a pleasure and an honor to be able to have him as my uncle I've been around lacrosse a lot um in some high level lacrosse areas over the years so um but I was born and raised in Conshohocken was around a lot of sports growing up basketball football played a lot of golf with my dad um fishing fishing for sure that was outside of my parents but had a great friend who I fished with all the time and um started playing lacrosse in second grade I was a little attackman running around if you can believe it um played for many years and then in seventh grade um I our goalie on the eighth grade team got injured and they said we need someone to play goalie and I was like okay I'll do it 
stepped in. Um, I remember my brother had played goalie in fifth grade. He had stopped playing goalie, started playing defense. So we went out to my front yard, put on his old equipment, and I just started taking shots in the front yard with my brother, who wasn't exactly the best shooter, but it gave me my first glimpse. And um, the one thing I think I enjoyed about playing goalie, and I know Coach Leahy and me will get into this, about the way the game looks in the goal is just vastly, vastly different than on the field. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I enjoy the game so much now is because I got to play goalie. Um, played all the way through eighth grade, started playing PYLA in seventh grade, um, and then was fortunate enough to go to LaSalle and play under Coach Leahy. So um, it was it was quite a journey to get to that point, and I'm sure we're going to catch up a little bit more about my LaSalle days now. But um. I love your comment about how the game looks differently from the goal, how often we would hop in as a coach not only in the goal, but behind the goal and play X. Because when I did that, I would get frustrated with whoever it was. So I'd hop in there and play X. But often I would do that from an offensive perspective and I could see the whole field, right? At X is the same view the goalie has. Yeah. You're looking up at everybody else. And then I would step aside, but stay back there and then become the you and the goalie. But the trick was, am I just watching the goalie from his pers- or am I watching his perspective upfield? So sometimes it was just watching you, bud, just so you know. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. I needed it back then, I think. When I got to LaSalle was when I really kind of started playing goalie at a higher level. And one of the reasons why, and Coach Leahy knows this, was our goalie tryouts were a chore and a half at LaSalle. It was two weeks in advance of everybody else. Two weeks in advance. And it's something I've always wanted to do with my guys. It's just NCAA doesn't exactly allow it to happen. But I felt like I was never in better goalie shape than when I entered those tryout weeks because of the two weeks prior. And it wasn't even like we were playing goalie the whole time. It was tennis balls. It was running laps. It was seeing shots with no stick and your hands behind your back and just learning how to soak a shot, learning the clearing game from like just you out there and how to how to command a defense was honestly the number one thing that I learned during those weeks. And the amount of time and effort that you put into just teaching us how to command a defense, the locations on the field, so everybody spoke the same way, I think – 100% made me a better coach and made me understand the game the way I do now because of how you kind of taught us during those two weeks. It was also self-serving that I knew we had a week of tryouts where I couldn't even look at you. So you better be ready <laughs> yeah. after 10 days, 12 days of goalie tryouts. You can just go and I don't have to look at you. Yeah. You already had your tryouts. So we can focus on everybody else. Shafe, what else, what else stands out from the years at LaSalle? Um, obviously working with Coach Resch and Coach Leahy is pretty special, but um, teammates or you know, playoff runs, anything else stand out there? I had quite the journey at LaSalle, and it wasn't all positive. I think I, I went through a really, really hard time um, going into my junior year. So sophomore year, I was fortunate enough. Pat Resch was a senior, my cousin, in 2010. We had a great state championship run season. We lost to Conestoga, um, and we struggled mightily in the goal that year. Coach Leahy will be the first one to tell you that we – we couldn't save a beach ball at times, and it was no offense to those guys. It just wasn't their best time. Um, and going into my junior year, I felt like it was my time to be able to play. Um, go through the tryout process, and at LaSalle, we, we, we received letters to let us know what team we made. That was something we transitioned to. I received a letter that told me I was on JV hmm. after swinging up the year before. It was your time, yeah. Yeah, and I felt like I had a great tryout. But, hey, all the credit in the world to a guy named Nick Koreshko who backed me up those years and – um, it was, it was really, made me really distraught. So I went to work that night. I, I was pretty close to just not going back cause I didn't want to play JV again. I had no interest. I had a great conversation with, um, Tony talked to coach Leahy the next day. And I think 
I was absolute waterworks in his office. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too, too proud to say that I was waterworks in the office. And he basically said, Hey, you're going to start with varsity for the week and we'll see how it goes. You guys will flip flop. And I knew that was my opportunity to go grab the job. So we actually played Episcopal down on that AstroTurf field. You guys beat us, played us in zone. I believe we lost nine, eight. Yeah. Speaking of zone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We got beat 9-8, and the next game we were playing Calvert Hall down at Calvert Hall, and I think I ended up playing the second half of that game, but I never looked back. And I mean, it was one of those things that could have gone one of two ways, and I actually saw one of my um, coaches from that year, Coach Coons, at the PLL game, and he told me, he was like, you could have gone one of two ways that year. And <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be able to take it and run with it after that. And um, it's something I think back on a lot of how close I was to just – calling it quits which is like something that looking back now i was like what were you thinking yeah but if you fast forward yeah state championship appearance correct injured in a drill the day before (laughs) couldn't believe we had you in a ground ball drill as a goalie and then you get hurt i loved ground ball drills what do you mean it was the best even goalies do ground balls yeah this was it was monday we were playing mount lebanon tuesday at penn state we were doing ground balls i i stepped in a hole in my i mean coach Leahy saw my ankle it was grapefruit-esque Worked my tail off to try and get back and played in the state championship and tough loss against a talented Stoker team. I can't can't complain. But uh, I had an incredible experience at LaSalle. And even outside of that, I mean, I think losing our my junior year and at uh, at Cardinal O'Hara against Prep for this what was that the third time we had lost the um, PCL. Um, and I still remember to this day, one of the reasons why I got into coaching, and I know we're going to get into that, was because of Coach Leahy that day. And um, the day after we played that game, he brought me down in a cart behind Ward, and for about 45 minutes, we just talked about the team and where we saw it next year. Um, and that input and the way we talked, I think, just really ignited my passion for leading and kind of controlling a team, for sure. I don't know if you remember that as well as I do, but... <laughs> I remember. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Um Talk about uh, McDaniel College, your next stop after LaSalle. Uh, you played goalie at McDaniel Division Three school in Western Maryland, right? Yep. So we were in the Centennial Conference. I was, I would say I didn't, as a college coach now, I would be really disappointed in my effort I put in the recruiting process. But McDaniel, I had a guy named Coach Speaks recruit me down there, and he was by far um, the best coach that I talked to on a recruiting visit. He's actually the head coach at St. John's in D.C. right now. So really good guy. Um, and loved the school, had a great four years there, never played much, and, um, but I loved the guys, loved the team, and it, was, it taught me a lot standing on the sideline. I think that's something I tell my guys now is you can learn a whole hell of a lot standing on the sideline and watching your brothers play, um, and that was something that came to my senior year. We were, I was obviously desperate to get on the field. I would have sold my left arm to be able to get on the field. You really only need your right one. Um, and uh, I, I ended up telling my coach, like, hey, I'll play D-Midi. I'll do anything. So I switched to D-Midi my senior year just because I just wanted to desperately get on the field. So I got on for like two or three games. I think I have one career ground ball at defensive midfielder. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world, mostly because I learned a lot about coaching and how to manage a game, just being able to observe whether it's my own coach, other teams, things like that. I hope the players and parents who are listening are hearing your story of resilience, setbacks, getting back up, trying new things, and learning from the sideline. 
These are all the things people complain about. When in truth, they're the things that help us be strong, grow, have grit, resilient. We all think we're tough. We all think we're resilient. Um, but you only really learn those things when the opposite happens, right? When you have a setback, when you are disappointed, when you've experienced a loss, and when you're not getting playing time. It's in those situations that you become the young man and the coach that you are today. Not necessarily all the playing time and, and all the glory. It's the opposite. Yeah. And I, I feel like looking back at my high school and college, like even playing, like I always felt like I belonged, but there was always a piece of me that felt like I was still that guy who never was going to make it. And it still drove me all the time. I still think back like how hard I worked and what it took to get to where I am now. And it's led me into some great places and couldn't be more thrilled with where I've made it so far. Yeah. Look at you now. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned uh, kind of Coach Leahy planting the seed uh, for you being a future coach with that conversation. Um, you talked a little bit more about getting the coaching perspective, just being on the sideline in college and not playing. Yeah. What was the next stop after McDaniel? Was it straight to coaching and kind of take us through? Yeah, so kind of my how I got into coaching, I, I entered into college. I wanted to be an athletic trainer. We had an incredible athletic trainer at LaSalle named Dave Crow. I felt like he had he had the life at LaSalle. It was just a perfect setup and um, went into college planning to do that and, uh, got into my sophomore year, finished all my hours as an athletic trainer. And it quickly dawned on me, like, I'm just going to be standing on the sideline. I can't really do anything other than wait for injured kids, which there's a big place for athletic trainers. Don't get me wrong. Um, but my junior year, I decided to, I coached with coach Leahy and the headstrong team. And we had an awesome team, awesome experience. And we left that next cup and what I, we talked about earlier with the zone defense and coach Leahy turned, I remember in the parking lot, he said, if you want to do this, you should do it. And from that point on, I pretty much narrowed my focus onto coaching. And I was fortunate enough at McDaniel, we had graduate assistants. So I knew that was an option um, and found my way up to Delaware Valley university under coach Mercadante, who I was under at our sinus for the past four years um, and spent two years as an offensive coordinator coming off of being a goalie, switching to D midi, being Coach Resch's nephew, who knew all—all all I really knew was defense—and then I flip over the offensive side, and it—it it gave me great perspective, and spent a lot of time up there, working with goalies, offense, and kind of after that, it was straight to her sinus. But it was—it uh, was quite the experience to get to Delval and start coaching there for sure. What I love hearing in your story is, you know, stuff we talk about LaSalle often through our education there is divine providence. I almost believe in the lacrosse gods with a small G, of course, the <laughs> lacrosse gods with a big G. But all those different aspects of the game, from D-Midi to goalie to being in a defensive family to being an offensive coordinator, yeah. you have to be able to do all these things to be a head coach yeah. and then learn along the way and sprinkle in recruiting. But you were almost, in some ways, predestined to figure this out as the journey unrolled. It, it, it does feel like that at times. I don't know if it's destined. It was a lot of hard work. I mean, offense is like a whole different ball game to me. I think I even now I, I flipped over to coaching offense this year. I understood it from above. I can watch it on film and understand it. But that's why I lean on my guys a lot to get their perspective because I need their perspective at certain times. Like, hey, what does this feel like? Does this feel right, wrong? And the egos involved in offense. Defensive players oh. all do it together, including the goalie, and they all take the glory as a unit. Yeah, offensive don't get guys, Coach Cope started. Uh, they know their stats. <laughs> they know their ground balls, yeah. how many assists I had. It's brutal, yeah. right? So you have to manage, I think, as an offensive coach, not only the X and O's and the strategy of the offenses. However, you also have to manage egos and fragile egos in a different way. I mean, you talk about first, second line. You're, you're talking about guys' livelihood at certain times, they think. <laughs> When you say like, hey, I'm on the second midfield, are you kidding me? You're going to play just as much as the first. But like they don't understand that. They hear two and they're like, 
my coach doesn't like me and like all this stuff. So um, it definitely is a little bit of ego control for those old guys. Uh, so from that time to now being a D3 head coach, you've mentioned Coach Mercadante a couple times. Uh, just talk us through your four years under him and now uh, being the, the head coach. Yeah, so um, I spent those two years at DelVal, transitioned over to Resinus when Coach Mercadante got hired. Um, and it was fortunate enough, he just asked me one day after he got hired, said, do you want to join me? And talked about it a little bit, and I was like, 100%. Um, not really knowing what her sinus was all about. I knew Coach Merck had been there in years prior, and I've spent four years now, now and 2019 through 22, I was the assistant. Um, fortunate. Give, give us a little bit about Coach Merck that oh, Coach Merck. led you to trust yeah. him and just go blindly. Yeah, I think it, spending office every day for two years, it's you're going to get to know someone and how they operate, and I knew what Coach Merck did well and what I did well meshed perfectly together. Coach Merck is a great organizational leader, and it's something that I wasn't exactly great at when I got to DelVal. I think I was understood the aspect of lacrosse, but to be able to run a team, practice plan, off the field, academics, all of those things down the line, I had to learn more. Um, so it was a no-brainer to go over to her sinus and learn um, under him for the next four years. And he put me in a really good place when he decided to step away to be able to take on this head coaching role. And trust me, I wouldn't have taken it on if I didn't feel ready for it. Um, there were certain times when over the past three years, it's you question yourself like, hey, am I ready for this? Am I ready for this? When it finally came about, it was a no-brainer that I felt like I could take this on and lead, lead the Bears. Absolutely. Yeah. And how's the fall gone? Fall's been great. So um, I hired a assistant, Nolan Sachs. He was a former player for me in 20. Um, Spent last year at Dickinson and uh, stole him back from a conference foe. Um, and he's been a huge addition to our staff. He, he got to play with the current seniors that we have. So he has a great perspective for them and coming back and knowing the conference really well, knowing how our guys operate, um, and stepped right into that defensive coordinator role and has been crushing it. So we just wrapped up fall ball this past weekend. We played Eastern and Widener in our fall scrimmage day. And that was a great day. A lot of learning happening for sure. Um, for me, for our guys, I mean, you play two teams like that who both view as their game of the day. Um, we got the best of both of them. And I would say we learned in our first game against Widener, you wake up at 10 a.m., you better be ready to go because it took us about two quarters to wake up. Um, and it was a good halftime adjustment to be able to calm our guys down, say, hey, just turn around and work harder than them. And had a 5-1 third and ended up winning the game, still getting everybody through. And then turned around and played Eastern, a really good team from the MAC who – Played a bunch of tight games last year with some really good teams and took it to them 10-8 with Coach Wallace, who does a great job with them being really organized. And I think overall it was a really good fall. A couple new things installed, but that was the unique part of being able to step back into her sinus as the head coach. Didn't feel like I had to change everything when I got there. I had a large hand or big hand in building what we're doing now. So the transition into head coach was really just refining and make it my own. And I'm still working on doing that. Right. I think it's a little bit different when you're not stepping in and changing a culture right now. I'm trying to morph our culture more into what I want it to be. Um, I would often hear from LaSalle guys, how badly they wanted to be recruited and play division one. And you have found your early home in division three. Yeah. How's it different? Why do you like it? And what, and what's your conference like? So three part questions there. Yeah, I think, the, the Division One versus Division Three debate will, will go on for a long time. 
um, I think the the good part is is you can have a great experience in both places. I would say Division One leans more towards a professional athlete feel, um, just because of how much um, time they're demanding out of you. Um, they get I think it's twelve or thirteen hours a week just of practice time throughout the entire fall semester in that off season period. We only get 15 days, um, and outside of those 15 days, I cannot have lacrosse contact with our guys. So you're truly a student for most of the fall. Um, now, in those 15 days, are we getting a lot done? I mean, you you bet you bet your butt we're get, we're getting a lot done. We are we're grinding on those practice days because we only have eight ten hours to be able to get everything we need in. Um, so it it's definitely a little bit different time commitment wise. Um, I think the other thing is why I, when I talk to this about prospective student athletes is there's, you're going to go to school and do you want to be a lacrosse player only, or do you want to be a student and be able to join a club or go abroad in the fall or hey, go, go away on the weekend, go away on the weekend and, um, do a lot of different things that might not, you might not have that opportunity at division one. Um, like right now we have two guys who are living in Philly, um, and it's technically living abroad, but it's called Philly X. And they, they, they work at a company for an internship, live in Philly, and they're just in Philly. They don't come back for practice. They're, they're there, and it's a great experience. It's something I, I think is a big, big tool for us to use is like, hey, we want you to go have your alone time away from us. I enjoy our time together, but you need to learn how to be an adult and function as a, as a person at school outside of just being a lacrosse player. And that's a constant battle, for sure, of guys like not just wanting to be a lacrosse player. Um, yeah. And how do you find the competition? It's great. I mean, the Centennial Conference, I would say, is the – I would put second best on it. I would say it might be the best. Um, the NESCAC, I would say, is the number one. But we have teams like Gettysburg. I know Coach Toner was on the podcast earlier. Um, Gettysburg, Dickinson, F&M. Even Muhlenberg has a phenomenal team right now. We, It's top to bottom in our conference. We play some great competition. And then you talk about our out-of-conference slate. We're playing RIT, um, St. John Fisher, York, all three teams that are pretty much top 10 ranked year in, year out, one of those being the defending national champion. What's your 2023 outlook? I think it's going to be – we're going to be competitive. It's going to take – it's going to take a lot – to be successful in our out of conference, but we wouldn't put that challenge in front of our guys if we didn't want it, right? That prepares us for our conference play. Um, I have full confidence in our offense. We returned six seniors, three of which are starting attackmen, three others are um, our first line midfield, and then we return a def- starting close defenseman, starting goalie, and a lot of young guys that gave us great minutes last year. So. I think it was a transition last year coming out of COVID. A lot of guys had only played 12 games, and they were juniors. 12 collegiate games, and they were ju- in their junior year. So it was it was a big year for us learning, and I don't think we'll have as sharp of a curve this year, but we're always going to be on an uphill battle with uh, trying to catch up to some of those upper teams. I'm just curious, how many Philly guys, guys from Philly High School? A lot. Yeah, we have a, we have a good amount of Philly guys. So I have two LaSalle guys on the roster right now. Always love those LaSalle guys. Um and we do well out of New Jersey, a lot of public school Philly guys, um, few private schools, but um, we also have nation pretty much go across the country with recruiting. Um, we, we stretch as far as California. Um, we've had Colorado kids in the past. We have a Texas kid coming in next year. Um, it's, 
it's really cool kind of the way our team structured with people from all over the country. We still have that Northeast core, but um, definitely stretch around a little bit. Coach, as we wind this down, uh, we've talked about college. We've talked about the goals for the program there. Anything about next working with younger goalies? I, I love getting you there and just goofing around and taking the edge off a little bit. But, you know, you work with, you know, Paul the Wall. Oh, yeah. The world famous uh, youth goalie, CJ, all the way up through those high school guys who are obviously a little bit more intense. But any impressions working with next? Yeah, I mean, I've my time with next has been very, very rewarding. Um, to say the least. I think I started, I remember when I started doing it, it was working in NLA camp in the winter in 2019. I worked with Coach Law and Coach Law pretty much looped me and was like, do you want to coach the 22s? I was like, yeah, like I got nothing else going on. Why not? And uh, it's been awesome. So getting to work with the 22s, but obviously I spent most of my time with the goalies and the youth level. Um, and it was one of the things that kept me sane during COVID. I, I mean, you guys went through it all with COVID and we were always running and no matter what next was going to happen. Um, and those kind of two nights a week that I got to go work with Paul, the wall, or, um, even Mo, who's now on the 26s, who's going to be a great player for us moving forward. Like those goalies, um, have a bright future. And I thoroughly enjoy giving them my perspective on how to play the game, because I think goalie is one of those things that everyone has a different perspective of how it should be played. Um, and you always pick and choose what you want to take. And that's how I coach my goalies is I want them to be kind of chameleons where like, Hey, certain teams are going to have to play a certain way. And, um, those youth guys love seeing shots. And I love seeing those guys. Like when I see Liam Titus and he says, Hey, what's up coach? I get excited every single time. Like Liam is, a, has a bright future. And I mean, all those youth guys, even Paul, the wall, like he, all those guys work really hard and hard at their craft and, it's it's really fun to get to work with all of them. I think you two just like saying Paul the Wall. It is yeah, fun. Yeah. It is fun. It is fun. I just want to say thanks for making the time for the younger guys, um, despite your schedule, and it's really cool and speaks to the brotherhood of next. Yeah, I think I need to come a little bit more now that we're done fall ball, and I, I, I can't wait, honestly. Coach, let's bring this home. Like yep. two LaSalle guys. Perfect. Teacher and me is ready to go for our rapid-fire homework section. So what homework do you have for coaches who are listening? For coaches, and it's something that I learned from you, and I actually had a teacher bring it up in a class, but if you're a coach right now with a team and you feel like your team's getting ground down, provide them with an unannounced day off. There's nothing more rewarding for a team than walking out to the practice field and seeing a Frisbee on the field and saying, go at it. Um, it's those memories and those times with, with your guys that kind of, I know I remember well our ultimate Frisbee match down on Ward, um, and I did it with my guys this fall. It's just... It's a way to lighten the load when, hey, you're grinding for four or five weeks and you're down on the grass and everyone's tired and you had a long lift. Hey, why don't we play Frisbee and get everyone's spirits up a little bit? So I don't think it happens enough. A lot of people are like drill, 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 drill. Um, you got to be able to uh, lighten the load for them and give them some fun once in a while. Yeah, they were fun days. My favorite was putting all of you on the end line after the f drill was miserable again and saying, ready, run to the locker room. <laughs> no practice today. They had yeah. all your stuff on, totally yeah. dressed, and they yeah. just turn and go home. It's great. Yeah. For players who are listening. Um, for players, I think learn how to string your own stick. It's something that I started doing in high school. Um, and it's not something you have to know how to string your whole stick. I think I would love for everybody to be able to do that. But you should not be the guy who has to turn to a teammate and say, can you fix this right before the game? Or like you're in the middle of a game and you can't play because your stick's broken. You should at least know how to tie a sidewall and make sure your stick's usable, legal, everything down the line. Um, I think it just also, you're, you're building in extra reps for yourself. If you string that stick, 
guaranteed you're going to go to the wall right after and make sure it works well and fits your like fits what you like. Yeah. And bringing two sticks to practice oh, every yeah. day, especially the days that I say drop your starting stick and grab your backup. That was those are those are good days <laughs> for parents who are listening. Um, I think my thing is, and it's something I see on the road a lot, recruiting, um, parents have to let referees ref. Um, do not be in their ear. They're not going to listen to you. You're honestly going to cause your team more trouble than it's worth. Um, and I think those referees have a really tough job to go referee a summer league game with a lot of different stuff that's going on on a Sunday. There's places they'd rather be, which is no offense to them. But understand that you're there to support, not to um, get after some – guy who's refing your son's game right support your son support your children that's what it's more important for and last what are you reading or listening to these days yeah so i've ryan holiday is one guy who has a bunch of great books um the obstacles the way is one of them i think i actually started reading them because coach um coach bates at uh episcopal brought that up on the podcast so i read that last summer he just came out with a new book um it's a new trilogy i think courage is what is it courage is calling um ego is the enemy ego is the enemy he has a bunch of them but uh actually a former philly lacrosse guy billy oppenheimer is his research assistant for ryan holiday so you see him posting all the time on twitter um and he got me back into it this this fall so i've, I've been reading him every night before i go to bed nice coach schaefer this has been great really awesome to see you with your former uh coach and mentor coach Leahy. Uh, easy to see that you're still inspired by the LaSalle days and you bring that with you to the program at Ursinus. Wish you luck there. Thanks for all the good work with Next, with our goalies, with our club. As this episode comes to a close, I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our listeners. Please leave a review. Help spread the word about the show. Coach Schaefer was terrific tonight. Wishing luck to the Ursinus Bears in 22-23. On behalf of the crew here, Coach Leahy, Coach Henwood, and our producer Justin, we're signing off from Concha Hawken. Yande Nose. Coach. Really? That was really strong. <laughs>